there, everybody. You are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this time we are taking a look at a graphic novel uh, that ties into the She-Ra and the Princesses of Power animated show that uh, had five seasons on Netflix, a show uh, of which we are both <laughs> rather large fans. And Liz is going to turn her phone off. Yes, Liz is going to turn her phone off. Sorry about that. <laughs> I hope you realize I'm going to leave that in. Oh, I know you are. <laughs> so uh, this is she on the Princess of Power, Legend of the Fire Princess. Uh, it is. Uh, it was published just as a graphic novel. Uh, it's not a compilation of uh, issues or anything like that. It is a standalone piece. For those who are fans of the show, continuity-wise, this happens between seasons two and three, which isn't made explicit, but is discernible from context clues in terms of where uh, all the characters are and sort of um, where things are at overall. Uh, so, we open with um, Entrapta in the Fright Zone. I, I'm just going to be going through these names, folks. If you don't know who these people are, I, I don't have the time to actually stop and cover all that. This thing would be an hour long. Entrapta is Mad Scientist! Yes. She she is Mad Scientist working for the bad guys, but she herself is a bit more... She just wants to do science and will do it for whatever side gives her the most science to do. Mm -hmm. Most um, resources. Yeah. So, okay, I guess we'll do some <laughs> description of who these people are. But, like, the, the comic um, is designed with the idea that you already know these characters. It doesn't mm -hmm. do introductions. So, Entrapta picks up a signal that's something they might want to check out, which is something that the, uh, the heroes of the Rebel Alliance are also um, uh, detecting. So, then we get the backstory of the legend of the Fire Princess. There being this uh, kingdom at some point in the past that, that was sort of ruled by fire, there was something called the Spirit Ember, which may or may not have been a runestone. Um, those being something that are in the major, um, uh, the major kingdoms and actually enable most of the princess's power. So like there's a, there's a runestone for uh, Glimmer, who teleports, there's a runestone for Frost, who does ice magic, for Mermista, who does water stuff, and Perfuma, who does plant stuff, etc., etc., etc. And so now both sides are going to try and find this thing before the other side does. So, um, Katra, former friend of Adora, who is also Shira. Okay, yeah, I guess I'm just going to try and cover all this. Um, <laughs> goes with Scorpia in tow. Scorpia being... Someone who has a massive freaking crush on Catra, and which is very and much... works on that side as well. And yes, the, those are the bad guys. And that's very much at play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and there's not a couple of points. Um, whereas the heroes, most of them are here. Most of the major ones. So like the ones I mentioned, uh, Frosta, Mermista, Perfuma, Glimmer, Adora. Also Bo, who is the, uh, the token male. And he's just very cool because he always has to have his midriff showing as they comment on yes as is frequently commented on as it should be because it's kind of a fun quirk of his character like to the point that he has actually torn off the midriff part of shirts before in the show <laughs> yes 
Well, you you got to be able to properly bend, and like the shirt might get in the way. So. Yes. So um, both sides get inside this long forgotten temple and find what remains of the spirit ember. And Catra and Scorpia, with the assistance of Entrapta and her bots, try to take it. But uh, things kind of go badly for everybody. There is a fight. We do get an action scene between both sides. But the um, Spirit Ember is very unstable. And it basically just starts spewing lava and melting everything. Uh, eventually getting to the point where they have no choice but to destroy it. So the... Um, the good guys destroy it with the power of rainbow magic, and I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> I love it when they make a rainbow. That's not hyperbolic. They literally destroy it with the power of rainbow friendship magic. <laughs> like you do. Like you do. And uh, Catra goes back, and Catra and Scorpia go back to the fright zone with their tail between their legs to be yelled at by Hordak. And that's the basic gist of it. What did you think? I liked it. It really did great. Um, it, it really exemplified the characters really well. Um, you could hear like them saying it in their voices. Um, Bo, you know, was trying to be the peacekeeper. Scorpio was crushing all over the place and wanted her little picnic instead of, you know, a mission. <laughs> um, Mermista, you know, groaned and complained and got her hair caught in a bush <laughs> and... Um, it was very typical. They squabbled. They got little petty jealousies of each other's powers working better in one case than the other. Um, it wasn't... I mean, it was very much a typical episode where they had to go on a mission and find stuff. It wouldn't have been... If this had been an episode, it wouldn't have been my favorite, but I would have been like, yep, this is very much She-Ra she doing its She-Ra thing with the characters acting like themselves. Yeah, I mean, like, I, and I did check the, um, the people involved behind this. So, um, the script was by, uh, someone named GGDG. Boy, that's a mouthful. And illustrations were by Paulina, uh, Ganachu. Probably mispronounced that. Um, but neither of them are involved in the show, uh, in any way. And while the art is a little different from how it is on the show, it is very reminiscent, but the writing, I was kind of surprised. I was expecting to find out that um, that Gigi was a writer on the show itself because the voices are captured so perfectly that for someone like me who knows the show and loves it, I could read the dialogue and hear the voices saying it because it matched exactly how they would be speaking. And as far as these sorts of things go, these uh, and they and they always have to be very um, sort of small scale and self-contained because obviously it can't really alter the continuity of the show. Mm -hmm. So it has to do something that is uh, is completely self-contained and, and an open and closed story on its own. But it's able to do that without feeling overly disposable. Yeah. Um, you know the the idea again if you know the show and the the graphic novel really does assume you do the idea of finding another runestone is kind of a big deal even though it gets you know the entire story gets closed off at the end mm -hmm. and it's also kind of an interesting idea i thought given that you know fire is an element that isn't accounted for it's true in shira as it exists so that was kind of a neat uh, thread to to decide to pull on 
Um, I, I assume you probably had little specific moments that you wanted to highlight, because I know I've got some. Um, I, 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 like, I'm not, again, I finished it a week ago, so <laughs> I just, I can't remember all the little details. I like that, once again, Scorpia can take um, She-Ra on <laughs> single-handedly and pretty much, like, toss her around and dispatch her and is very protective of Katra in doing so. Um, I, the dynamic behind the characters is great, like, you know. Frosta being tiny, but being able to freeze everything, and the other characters being a little jealous. Some of them, like Perfuma and and Mermista, Mermista getting irritated and making fun of Bo's midriff. You know, very, very telling, very reminiscent of how the characters are in the show. Um, are are uh, Entrapta getting getting very upset when one of the when one of her bots gets destroyed because she has dubbed it cousin of Emily, <laughs> Emily being her favorite bot. So, yes. So uh, we, we have a line like cousin of Emily. No. Yeah. So she is she faces her typical struggle of things going slightly haywire with her science and yeah. technology and. Though it's not really her fault, it's more of an effect of the stone, so, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, like, I, you, you highlighted her already, but I'm, I'm gonna bring it up, because Scorpia is Scorpia, my, yes. Scorpia is my favorite in the show. I know, you need to, in the Scorpia show. gush. Yes, I need to gush a little bit. So, you know, she brings a picnic. Because <laughs> that's what you do when you're sent on a mission, is you decide to have a romantic picnic. <laughs> well, she has time alone with Katra, so she's going to try and make it um, a bonding experience. And I like that she lays out this thing, and it's, you know, it's got all this little stuff, like, they look all like... All the cheeses. Cakes and, and cheese fruits. and cupcakes. But then Katra takes a bite, and she goes, it's a ration. <laughs> and how does it taste? Like a ration. So, like, all she took was the standard rations from the Fright Zone and just reshaped them to look like cakes and cheeses. Fancy <laughs> picnic foods. Yeah. yeah. And and I love that she doesn't let that go either. They actually get to the temple. She's still carrying the picnic basket. Uh, to the point that Entrapta actually pauses to grab some of the foods because it's established that Entrapta has a thing for tiny food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when, she's, when she spies tiny sandwiches, she gets distracted. And yes, I did like that they kept true to the fact that... I mean, one of the many things I love about Scorpia is the fact that, look, she thinks with her heart, not her brain... <laughs> She is pretty dumb at the end of the day, but she is a very formidable fighter. And she has in the show gone one-on-one -on -one with She-Ra and won. Mm -hmm. And she does again here. And I like that they have... It's one of the many things that, again, GGDG obviously did a lot of research into how these characters function, the dynamic. Because I was half expecting somewhere... I wasn't expecting it to be bad, but I was kind of expecting that somewhere, at some point, I was going to go, that's that's inconsistent, or that's out of character, or that should have gone a different way. And really, I never did. And I think the thing is, I'm used to these sorts of things mm -hmm. feeling very tacked on, rushed out, make a buck. Mm -hmm. And this just feels like it had a lot more care put into it than is normally done with these kinds of tie-in graphic novels, especially for something that is ultimately a kid's show. 
Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. I I was I I don't I don't want to oversell it cuz obviously there isn't a lot you're going to get from it if you aren't already a fan of the show. Mm -hmm. But I think if you are, it it is a surprisingly solid piece, much more so than I'm I'm used to seeing from this kind of material. Um, and like we said, it, it captures everybody's voices so perfectly, top to bottom, from Glimmer's uh, enthusiasm at the idea of having a new weapon to use against the Horde and her her reluctance to destroy it. She really doesn't want to have it come to that. No. <laughs> and. You know, Bo trying to toe the middle line between stuff going on and Catra being very uh, uh, teasing <laughs> of Adora. It's it. It was fun. It was very. It was breezy. I read this in probably thirty minutes. It is. Mm -hmm. It is a breezy, breezy read. But I'm I, not surprised with your love of the show. Yeah, but I uh, I I thought it, I thought it was quite well done. And for anyone who is a fan of the show, I would recommend it because I, I think it cap if you if you like the show this captures probably just about everything that you do like about the show and gives you a new neat little story with it and I, there are a couple characters missing there's no Seahawk and there's no Swift wind in this yeah. um, so we should note that if those are like two of your favorites I think pretty much and I don't think do we have the trio of Rogelio and Kyle. We don't we don't have Rogelio, Lonnie, and Kyle. Kyle yeah. Um, we don't have Shadow Weaver. So like Oh, the, that's true too. There's I'm a few sure. absences, but it, it really is kind of the core cast of of both sides because it's it's all the princesses and Bo <laughs> uh, for the rebellion and the um, the super pal trio of Catra and Trapped and Trapped in Scorpia. Yep. So, like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna get, say, who the core characters were, especially at this time, because, like, characters like Double Trouble weren't introduced yet, mm -hmm. um, th these are the ones that you would, you would want to have in here, unless you were trying to do, like, a smaller, more character-specific focused piece, which this isn't. This is more of a get-everybody-together-for-an-adventure yep. kind of story. Oh, no Natasha or Spinnerilla either. Yeah, yeah, no Natasha, no, no Spinny. They were more of prominence later, like the fifth season too. Though they yeah. were introduced earlier. They got introduced at the end of the first season, but they didn't really get much of a chance to shine until fifth season <laughs> yeah. when they were, frankly, great. Yeah, they were very, <laughs> they, they, were, they awesome. were awesome. And uh, I don't think they would have introduced Hantara by this point either. So, no, like, I they, don't think she was in it yet, so... Yeah, because like, and again, that's me, that's me knowing the show too well and reading into it because the interactions between Scorpia and Catra to me read like this was before the Crimson Waste. Yeah. So, that's that is me knowing the show. You might know that show pretty well. Yeah, I, I may have watched the whole thing through like three or four times at this point. I don't oh, know. Oh, I've I've only done the whole thing all the way through once, but here and there I've watched some of them again. I, I love Potentially so Bo's dad's. <laughs> you, oh, you squeed so loud. The first uh, time I saw them. When they first showed yeah. up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I am very fond of Bo's dads. Oh, uh, so, um, I think we'll wrap it up there. There isn't really a lot to say. If you like the show, I think you will like this. Um, it is a scholastic book, so, you know, if you're, if you have kids, 
or whatnot who have scholastic book fairs, it's probably available through that. Um, but if the show's not your thing, this this ain't gonna convert you because this is functionally just an episode of the show. <laughs> Pretty much. So uh, we will take a quick break, play a promo for somebody. I don't know, somebody. And uh, then we'll come back with listener feedback. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto. So both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs> The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Hey everybody, we're back and we're going to take a look at comments on our previous episode, which was our 50th episode, where we didn't review anything new and just talked about what we thought were the best and worst things that we had covered up to that point. So uh, we do have a little bit of feedback. You want to start? Yep. Um, from Liz Ann Oswald. Impressive podcast. Most impressive. Cool end of the year podcast. And now, sorry, but got to point this out. I'm Kay, I know three people with that build, referring to the build of the main character and girl genius. In real life and more overall, but when you say it's unrealistic, and I point out there are real people with that build, your y'all's counter-argument is, but that doesn't negate your argument of it being unrealistic. How does it not real being not negate that? Are you using unrealistic as saying? So I think in that case, I, I will say I probably misspoke. Um, and I think I was a little over-dismissive of her build being both thin and very curvy. That is certainly... Uh, a body type that many people have and is out there. Um, so I apologize for that. Um, and I mean, I, I think part of the point that we were trying to make with that, which wasn't made as well as it could have been, is the combination of that body type with the fact that she kept ending up in her underwear and it was as cheesecakey as it was at a certain point. I think rubbed us both the wrong way a little bit and i think we may have improperly singled out her body type mm -hmm. in that criticism when it probably wasn't as relevant to just sort of the combination of things that were that were annoying us a little bit yeah because we did talk about the male body type too yeah we did muscular so yeah um sorry that would be like folks saying the one in one inch punch from wing chun doesn't work but i've used it to break half inch quarter inch thick boards or that I wore a size 12 inch and 34 inch waist pants and I don't think either of you two skinny kids have been up to either size <laughs> I am yeah we are kind of on the slimmer side so I think that's also valid criticism that we need to kind of be cognizant of what we're saying about bigger body types I mean I, I'm not disagreeing, but I, I'm kind of tilting my head. Like I have to wear a size 16 dress. Oh, that's yeah. Um, I mean, granted, part of that is that I'm six feet tall and broad-shouldered, as opposed to body type. But yeah. Um. 
Because here you are, two skinny folks walking around. I could go on, but nothing is more realistic than that. Um, so the body type in Girl Genius is real because real people have had that body type. Moving on. I didn't... I don't know. I hear that the Ron Mars run on Witchblade was fun. Know him mostly from Green Lantern and Mystic, but he's made decent comics. I have not read any more of his stuff. I mean, I've I've heard that Witchblade got better later, but I... (laughs) The one we were reading was probably not the best representation. I made a... I made the call... (laughs) <laughs> to go with the initial starting run of it, strictly oh. for the purposes of driving you crazy. Now, <laughs> anyone who is a fan of the comic, if you want to level the criticism that I was not representing the comic at its best, I won't even fight you on that. You are right. I deliberately picked <laughs> the very, very rocky start of that comic, and I passed no judgment on where it went after that. I didn't read it after that, but... <laughs> did I cherry pick some rough stuff? Yes. Yes, I did. For my own amusement, because I'm slightly evil like that. <laughs> yes. Um, so maybe his run was okay. No, the big rock bit was fine. I thought the same thing when I saw the ep- the episode. Even like the comment it was based on. Though in it, Bat dresses as Two-Face and it's a tri- trial. So instead of him as a crook in a bar, it's him as Two-Face in a crime court. With Roz as a judge. Though again, it's the Joker who's the main guy. Hey, Nathaniel, if you're not mad that after I said you'd be the power girl or Hawkman of Fire and Water, but if there were the JLI. I mean, the, the, the thing is, I mean, I could make a comment about Power Girl given her best known assets, but I'll, <laughs> I'll bite my tongue on that. And I don't know enough about Hawkman to be offended by that comparison. That was... Uh, that was to clarify, that was something that she actually said uh, in an earlier part of the comment that we kind of skipped over because she was talking about my appearance on Shag's oh, JLI okay. podcast. Um, and so she was sort of re-referencing that. And we did kind of skip it over because that was about a different podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what that was. And no, I'm not offended. Yes. And yes, there are. she goes on to say several of comparisons of other people on the Fire and Water Network and who... Um, she thinks they would be, um, including me as Black Canary, but with the jazzier outfit, all right, or Babs Batgirl. Yeah, I could see that. I often get librarian characters, <laughs> which is okay. I like Babs, so that works. Um, so, and then she goes on to talk a little bit about her taste in terms of the she series and she is much a much bigger fan of the old one in the 1980s and its action figures and (laughs) does not quite love um the dreamworks the new one as much as we do and noelle stevens take on it yeah uh, which is you know valid and fair and i think a lot of people take issue with the animation style of the newer one I mean, there are various things, some of which she touches on. Um, I mean, this is this is something that, like, we're we're just gonna agree to disagree on. Yes, um, you are very we, passionate about. I, I'm the very new passionate series. about the series as it current as it existed on Netflix through DreamWorks. Uh, Lizanne is very passionate about the original filmation series and if if you want to see your specific thoughts, they're they're uh, on the site in the comment. But I. I I don't, I'm not sure there's a lot of benefit from 
us going through point for point and me just disagreeing with <laughs> I know. with as much of it as I would. So we'll we'll, we'll shift on. Certainly from there. read her comments. Um, and her and then her second comment is, I do like y'all's show. Hope I didn't come off as rude with my comment. No, I mean we deserve to be called out on the 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 body comment, um, the body type comment. Just, that was my thought on things. Y'all do a great podcast and seem pretty smart. Just, well, that was my thought on things. And we're certainly allowed to disagree on certain shows, certain things like that, and comics, um, I'm sure. We have some strong opinions, and we expressed some of those on the last Yeah, podcast. a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. Um, yeah, for fans of I Hate Hair, uh, <laughs> I Hate Harryland. I Hate <laughs> Fairyland. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's lockdown. Nobody, nobody's dealing with body hair anymore, so maybe we are living in hairy land. Maybe she did get a little hairy after however many years there. <laughs> um, that was my thoughts and things. Sorry. Anyways, can't wait to hear the next podcast. <laughs> All right. I will let you read the next one since okay. I can't pronounce fairyland. <laughs> uh, next up, we had a comment from Brian Linton. Congratulations on reaching the 50-episode milestone. Woo! Go us. It was great to hear you reflect on the best and worst of the previous 49 episodes and to see your impressions of these stories, and to see how your impressions of these stories have changed or not over time. You also reminded me that I still have some books that I need to track down and read. Rat Queens and Nimona are at the top of my current list, as they should be. Uh, also, on behalf of my wife and myself, I would like to thank you for helping us find some great reads for our daughter. Squirrel Girl, The Prince and the Dressmaker, and Lumberjanes probably top that list, but there have been many others. I look forward to your future recommendations. Oh, that's Aww. that's fantastic that that she's she's taken a love of some of these things. That's great. Uh, I think we would both recommend the the She-Ra graphic novel. Yes. Yes. Uh, again. Assuming a base level knowledge of the show. Um, do you want me to do the next one? I'll take the next one. Okay. So next up we have Frank. Hey, Frank. Occasional listener question mark time commenter. Yeah, I don't think you... I don't know if you've commented on our stuff before, Frank. If you have, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, so valuable to me to have a best worst show. I loathed Wonder Woman <laughs> Earth 1, and it made me despair that no DC Comics architect type of the modern era has ever seemed to know the amazing Amazon well enough to halfway fake it. Yeah, like, and part of what was weird about Wonder Woman Earth 1 was that it superficially grabbed a whole bunch of details, but didn't seem to know what to do with them other than just stick them there. Like, the purple healing ray is from the Golden Age of Comics, but it seemed to just be there to be there yeah it, yeah yeah back in the olden times jerry conway and roy thomas handled her pretty well but that was in contrast to basically anyone else who ever wrote for justice league of america and the majority of writers who took a pass at her since crisis on infinite earths that said grant morrison had a particularly ted cruzian <laughs> grasp of the character that i found so repugnant that oh, wow. i that Getting i know political <laughs> I never did a rant against it because there there were too many things for me to hate on. As Nathaniel can attest from 90s Comics Retrial, that's an exceptional level of loathing. Yes. So I know Frank from back when 90s Comics Retrial was still active as a podcast. And Frank, Frank is a passionate individual. <laughs> Uh, I read most of the first I Hate Fairyland trade, and it takes a particular apathy for me to not at least finish the trade so that I can get rid of it. 
I'm also the guy completely unamused by the entirety of Scott Young's career. Uh, I tried buying some top-shelf manga in the mid-90s to investigate it, including the first several issues of Ghost in the Shell, and it was among the least of my purchases in that period. I don't think I ever watched the anime. Yeah, like... He sounds pretty in agreement with our, yeah. our lower-tier uh, choices. You still need to see the anime film, and, like, I still love that movie, but, boy, the, the manga is not something that I would recommend to anyone other than a completionist. Mm, fair. I'll get the last one. Tim Price. Many congratulations on the big 5-0. It was fun to hear your picks and relive the good ones vicariously. I'm ready for the road to 100. Ooh. <laughs> see if we have it in us. Gosh. I think that's about it. Well done, my punchers. Well done. Oh, we could have wrapped this whole thing up on 50. That would have been a good place to stop. We got to do this now for another four oh, years. Oh, man, Tim. You rope. And you're roping us in. Ah, oh, shoot. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We haven't selected what we're doing next time. No, we have not even talked about it, which is odd for us. You know, you're on vacation. We should do a bigger one. Maybe it's time to crack open one of the denser ones. Okay. Yes, I do have about a week of vacation, a little more than that left. So, yes. Okay. So, not sure what we'll come back with, folks, but it'll be something a little... <laughs> less um popcorn so uh we will see you in a month see you then bye see you then. bye tough like a girl is a council of geeks production and is presented on the fire and water podcast network comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com and you can support the network by finding us on patreon this particular show was supported by carolyn and brian linton our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye!